listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head over to Facebook and find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast page, and there you'll be able to interact with other listeners and followers. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who have proclaimed the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 219. And we are reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 2, Paragraphs 333 to 341. Chapter 2. Most Holy Mary accompanies the Savior in his preaching tours. She bears many hardships and takes care of the women that follow him, conducting herself in all things with the highest perfection. 333. It would not be foreign to the purpose of this history— to describe the miracles and the heroic works of Christ, our Redeemer and Master. For in almost all of them, His Most Blessed and Holy Mother concurred and took a part. But I cannot presume to undertake a work so arduous and so far above human strength and capacity. For the evangelist St. John, after having described many miracles of Christ, says at the end of his Gospel that Jesus did many other things which, if they were all described, could not be contained in all the books of the world. If such a task seems so impossible to the evangelist, how much more to an ignorant woman, more useless than the dust of the earth? All that is necessary and proper and abundantly sufficient for founding and preserving the church has been written by the four evangelists, and it is not necessary to repeat it in this history. Yet in order to compose this history and in order not to pass over in silence so many great works of the exalted queen which have not been mentioned, it is necessary to touch on a few particulars. Moreover, I think that to write of them, and thus fasten them in my memory, will be both consoling and useful for my advancement. The others, which the evangelists recorded in their Gospels, and of which I have not been commanded to write, are better preserved for the beatific vision, where the saints shall see them manifested to them by the Lord, and where they will eternally praise Him for such magnificent works." 3.34. From Cana in Galilee, Christ the Redeemer walked to Capernaum, a large and populous city near the Sea of Tiberias. Here, according to St. John, John 2.12, he remained some days, though not many, for the time of the Pasch was approaching. He gradually drew nigh to Jerusalem in order to celebrate this feast on the 14th of the moon of March. His most blessed mother, having rid herself of her house in Nazareth, accompanied him thenceforth in his tours of preaching and of teaching to the very foot of the cross. She was absent from him only a few times, 
as when the Lord absented himself on Mount Tabor, Matthew 17.1, or on some particular conversions, as for instance that of the Samaritan woman, or when the heavenly lady herself remained behind with certain persons in order to instruct and catechize them. But always after a short time she returned to the Lord, and Master, following the Son of Justice until it sank into the abyss of death. During these journeys the Queen of Heaven proceeded on foot, just as her divine Son. If even the Lord was fatigued on the way, as St. John says, John 4, 6, how much more fatigued was this purest lady? What hardships did she not endure on such arduous journeys in all sorts of weather? Such is the rigorous treatment accorded by the Mother of Mercy to her most delicate body. What she endured in these labors alone is so great that not all the mortals together can ever satisfy their obligations to her in this regard. Sometimes, by permission of the Lord, she suffered great weakness and pains, that he was constrained to relieve her miraculously. At other times, he commanded her to rest herself at some stopping place for a few days, while again on certain occasions he gave such lightness to her body that she would move about without difficulty, as if on wings. 3.35 As I have already mentioned, the Heavenly Lady had the whole doctrine of the evangelical law written in her heart. Nevertheless, she was as solicitous and attentive as a new disciple to the preaching and doctrine of her divine Son. And she had instructed her angels to report to her, if necessary, the sermons of the Master whenever she was absent. To the sermons of her Son she always listened on her knees. Thus, according to the utmost of her powers, showing the reverence and worship due to his person and doctrine. As she was aware at each moment of the interior operations of the soul of Christ and of his continual prayers to the Eternal Father for the proper disposition of the hearts of his hearers and for the growth of the seed of his doctrine into eternal life, the Most Loving Mother joined the Divine Master in his petitions and prayers and in securing for them the blessings of her most ardent and tearful charity. By her attention and reverence, she taught and moved others to appreciate duly the teaching and the instructions of the Savior of the world. She also knew the interior of those that listened to the preaching of the Lord, their state of grace or sin, their vices and virtues. This various and hidden knowledge so far above the capacity of men caused in the Heavenly Mother many wonderful effects of highest charity and other virtues. It inflamed her with zeal for the honor of the Lord and with ardent desires that the fruits of the redemption be not lost to the souls, while at the same time the danger of their loss to the souls through sin moved her to exert herself in the most fervent prayer for their welfare. She felt in her heart a piercing and cruel sorrow that God should not be known, adored, and served by all his creatures, and this sorrow was in proportion to the unequal knowledge and understanding she had of all these mysteries. For the souls that would not give entrance to divine grace and virtue, she sorrowed with ineffable grief, and was wont to shed tears of blood at the thought of their misfortune. What the great queen suffered in this her solicitude and in her labors exceeds beyond all measure the pains endured by all the martyrs of the world. 3.36 All the followers of the Savior, and whomever he received into his ministry, she treated with incomparable prudence and wisdom, especially those whom she held in such high veneration and esteem as the apostles of Christ. As a mother, she took care of all, and as a powerful queen, she procured necessaries for their bodily nourishment and comforts. 
Sometimes, when she had no other resources, she commanded the holy angels to bring provisions for them and for the women in their company, in order to assist them toward advancing the spiritual life. The great queen labored beyond possibility of human understanding, not only by her continual and fervent prayers for them, but by her precious example and by her counsels, with which she nourished and strengthened them as a most prudent mother and teacher. When the apostles or disciples were assailed by any doubts, which frequently happened in the beginning, or when they were attacked by some secret temptation, the great lady immediately hastened to their assistance in order to enlighten and encourage them by the peerless light and charity shining forth in her. And by the sweetness of her words, they were exquisitely consoled and rejoiced. They were enlightened by her wisdom, chastened by her humility, quieted by her modesty, enriched by all the blessings that flowed from this storehouse of all the gifts of the Holy Ghost. For all the benefits, for the calling of the disciples, for the conversion and perseverance of the just, and for all the works of grace and virtue, she made a proper return to God, celebrating these events in festive hymns. 337. As the evangelists tell us, some of the women of Galilee followed Christ the Redeemer on his journeys. St. Matthew, St. Mark, and St. Luke tell us that some of those whom he had cured of demonical possession and of other infirmaries accompanied and served him. Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 8. For the master of eternal life excluded no sex from his following. Imitation and Doctrine Hence, some of the women attended upon him and served him from the very beginning of his preaching. The divine wisdom so ordered it for certain purposes, among which was also the desire to provide proper companions for his blessed mother during these travels. Our queen interested herself in a special manner in these pious and holy women, gathering them around her, teaching and catechizing them, and bringing them as listeners to the sermons of her divine son. Although she herself was fully enlightened and instructed in the evangelical doctrine and abundantly able to teach them the way of eternal life, nevertheless, partly in order to conceal this secret of her heart, she always availed herself of the sayings of Christ in his public preaching as a text for her instructions and exhortations. Whenever she taught these and many other women who came to her either before or after hearing the Savior of the world, not all of them followed Christ. But through the efforts of the Heavenly Lady, all of them received sufficient knowledge of the sacred mysteries for their conversion. Thus, she drew innumerable women to the knowledge of Christ, to the way of eternal salvation and evangelical perfection, though the evangelists say no more of them than that some of them followed Christ. It was not necessary for the evangelists to go into these particulars in their histories. The admirable works of the Blessed Lady among the women stopped not short with merely teaching them divine faith and virtues by word of mouth. But she also taught them to practice the most ardent charity by visiting the sick and the infirmaries, the poor, the imprisoned and afflicted, nursing with her own hands the wounded, consoling the sorrowful and giving aid to those in necessity. If I were to mention all these works, it would be necessary to fill the greater part of this history with discourses on them or to make it much more extensive. 338. Nor are the innumerable and vast miracles of the great queen during the public preaching of Christ our Lord recorded in the Gospels or in other histories, for the evangelists spoke only of the wonders wrought by Christ and insofar as was useful to establish the faith of the church. It was necessary that men should first be established and confirmed in this faith, 
before the great deeds of the Most Holy Mother should become manifest. According to what has been given to me to understand, it is certain that she brought about not only many miraculous conversions, but she cured the blind and the sick and called the dead to life. That this should be so was proper for many reasons. On the one hand, she was the assistant in the principal work for which the Incarnate Word came into the world, namely in his preaching and his redemption. For thereby the Eternal Father opened up the treasures of his omnipotence and infinite goodness, manifesting them in the Divine Word and in the Heavenly Mother. On the other hand, she, as his mother, was to resemble her son in the working of miracles, increasing the glory of both. For in this way she accredited the dignity and doctrine of her son and eminently and most efficaciously assisted him in his ministry. That these miracles should remain concealed was due both to the disposition of divine providence and to the earnest request of Mary herself. Hence, she performed them with such a wise secrecy that all the glory redounded to the exaltation of the Redeemer, in whose name and virtue they were wrought. The same course she also maintained in her instructions, for she did not preach in public, nor at any prearranged place or time, nor to those who were attended to by the appointed teachers and ministers of the divine word. The blessed lady knew this kind of work was not incumbent upon women. 1 Corinthians 14.34 She contented herself with the assistance she could render by private instruction and conversation, which she did with celestial wisdom and efficacy. By this assistance and by her prayers, she secured more conversions than all the preachers of the world. 3.39 This will be better understood if we remember that besides the heavenly influence of her words, she possessed the most intimate knowledge of the nature, disposition, inclinations, and bad habits of all men, of the time and occasion best suited to bring all to the way of eternal life and that to this knowledge were added her most fervent prayers and the exquisite sweetness of her conversation. All these gifts were animated by her most ardent charity and the desire to bring souls to salvation and to the friendship of the Lord, and therefore the results of her labors were exceedingly great. She rescued innumerable souls, drawing them on and enlightening them. None of her petitions were denied her, and none of her efforts failed of the holy effects which she asked for them. As then the work of salvation was the principal object of all her endeavors, she, without a doubt, performed greater deeds than can be ever understood by men in this mortal life. In all these labors, the heavenly lady proceeded with the greatest gentleness, like the simplest dove, with extreme patience and forbearance, overlooking the imperfections and rudeness of the new faithful, enlightening the ignorance of the vast number of those that came to subject themselves to the doctrines of the Redeemer. On all occasions, she preserved the quiet, high-mindedness of a queen. Yet at the same time only, she, in the imitation of the Savior, could ever have joined with it such perfection of humility and sweetness. Between themselves, they treated all with such great kindness and fullness of charity, that no one could ever be excused from humble subjection to such teachers. They spoke and conversed and ate with the disciples and with the women that followed them. Matthew 9.10, John 12.2, Luke 5.29, 7.36. Observing all due moderation and reserve, so that no one found it strange or doubted that the Savior was a true man, the natural and legitimate Son of Most Holy Mary. It was for this purpose also that the Lord treated other guests with such affability, as is recorded in the Holy Gospels.
Instruction which the Most Holy Queen Mary gave me. 340. My daughter, it is true that I labored more than is known or imagined by mortals in following and accompanying my son to the foot of the cross, nor were my anxieties for their welfare any less after his death, as thou wilt be made to understand in writing the third part of this history. Amidst all my labors and hardships, I was ineffably rejoiced in spirit to see the incarnate word working for the salvation of men, and opening the book sealed by the seven mysteries of the divinity and sacred humanity. The human race owes me no less for my rejoicing at the welfare of each one than for my solicitude in procuring it, because both sprang from the same love. In this I wish thee to imitate me as I have so often exhorted thee, although thou dost not hear with thy bodily ears the sermons of my divine Son, nor his own voice in preaching. Thou canst yet imitate me in the reverence with which I listen to him, for it is the same one that speaks to thy heart, and who teaches thee the same doctrine. Therefore I exhort thee, whenever thou recognizest the enlightening voice of the spouse and pastor, to kneel down in reverence and listen to his words, adoring him full of thankfulness, and writing his counsel in thy heart. If thou happenst to be in a public place where thou canst not show this external reverence, do it interiorly, and obey him all things, as if thou wert present at his very preaching. For just as hearing him then, without obeying him, would not have made him the happy, so thou canst now make thyself blessed by executing that which thou hearest him say to thee interiorly, even though thou dost not hear him with thy bodily ears. Great is thy obligation, since most extraordinary is the kindness and mercy shown to thee by the Most High and by me. Be thou not dull of heart, lest thou remain poor amidst such riches of the divine enlightenment. 341. But not only to the interior voice of the Lord must thou listen reverently, but also to the voice of his ministers, preachers, and priests, whose words are the echoes of the Most High and the aqueducts through which the blessed doctrine of life and the perennial fountains of divine truth flow to the souls. In them God speaks, and the voice of his divine law resounds. Hear them with such reverence that thou art unwilling to look for any error, nor presume to pass judgment on what they say. For thee all must appear wise and eloquent, and in every one of them hear only the voice of Christ, my Son and Lord. Be warned not to fall into the foolish presumption of the worldly, who, with very reprehensible vanity and pride, most hateful in the sight of God, despise his ministers and preachers, because they do not speak in accordance with their depraved tastes. When they go to hear the divine truth, they judge only of the expression style, as if the word of God were not simple and strong, Hebrews 4.12, depending not on oratorical and artful arrangement of words, adjusted merely to the weakness of those that listen. Do not count this as an unimportant advice. Listen to all that I say to thee in this history, since as a careful teacher I wish to inform thee of the little things as well as of great, of unimportant as well as important points. Remember that to perform anything with perfection is always great. I also exhort thee to treat affably the rich as the poor, without the acceptation of persons so common among the children of Adam. My divine Son and I rejected and condemned all such distinction, showing ourselves equally kind to all and even more so to those who are most despised 
intelligent, and afflicted. James 2.2 Worldly wisdom looks upon the person not at the state of the souls, nor at virtue, but at outward ostentation. But heavenly prudence considers the image of God in all. Just as little shouldst thou wonder that thy sisters and neighbors perceive thy defects of nature, such as are deprived from the first sin, thy infirmities, fatigues, thy appetites, and other shortcomings. Sometimes the hiding of these defects is hypocrisy and want of humility. The friends of God should fear only sin and should desire to die rather than commit it. All the other defects do not sully the conscience, and it is not necessary to conceal them. This concludes our reading today for day number 219. We've been reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 2, Paragraphs 333 to 341. What a marvelous reading we had today about the early works of Jesus after the wedding feast at Cana and really bringing home something that, of course, as was mentioned, talked about in the Gospels in one mere sentence, that these women followed Jesus and that they really assisted in preparations of meals and such. There's a biography of Our Lady much shorter than the mystical city of God. It was written by St. Maximus the Confessor. And in that biography called The Life of the Virgin, which was really written maybe in the years 800, 700, something along those lines, uh, St. Maximus puts Mary among those women. And so today we hear that affirmation of Venerable Maria of Agreda. And the role of Mary was to listen to her son, as we heard, that she listened to his sermons, so she was completely aware of them. Her role was to teach and to catechize the other women and other people along the way. And then another thing she did was that she prepared those meals. She obtained the necessaries for life. And then we heard also that she at times did heal as well. That because she was such a close collaborator with Christ, she had been given this gift of doing so. Just as there are healers in the world today, just as certain people have certain gifts, that Mary was able to do that as she went about her public ministry. It says that she rid herself of her house in Nazareth and accompanied him thenceforth in his tours of preaching. So Mary renounced her home. There's only one thing that really, one passage of scripture, which might contradict, but maybe we can find its meaning, but that Mary goes with the cousins of the Lord, or what they're referred to as the brothers and sisters of the Lord, and they find Jesus, for example, in Mark 3, 31 to 38, and they want to talk with him. And this is when Jesus says, who are my mother and fathers except those who do the will of God? But Mary was searching for her son. Now, maybe we could explain that and we could say, well, Mary did stay away for a little time and then had to catch up, and so maybe she was looking for Jesus in the home there. But that's something maybe we have to reconcile with as we hear that Mary is present really in the public ministry of Jesus. I've always thought she was, and so I was grateful to hear that indeed she was. 
What an interesting instruction of Our Lady that we heard to value preaching. Of course, I think that we look at people who are great preachers. We maybe put them up on a little pedestal, if you will, that we seek out their homilies or whatever. But not just to be impressed by oratorical skills and delivery and such, but to really look at the content. There was one time when I was preaching that I was preaching on a controversial topic, and I had a few people walk out. Well, that was because I wasn't preaching what they wanted to hear. But sometimes the tough message of the gospel is one that needs to be proclaimed and preached. We listen to the preachers who are speaking to our souls and helping to form us as we make our way to the kingdom of heaven. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the Mystical City of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.